Thank you so much, choir and musicians, and a great job soloists there, uh, Victoria. Well, hard to believe that this is already the third week of December, isn't it? Time is just flying by, getting here fast and fast. And I think that's kind of an indication of, um, of where we live during this Christmas season. I think for many of us, uh, this wonderful Christmas season is only a, a frantic, fast-paced season of what we might call despair. Uh, it's a problem our modern society has, but it's a problem that goes back to the time even before the birth of Jesus Christ. In fact, um, in 1247, there was a hospital built in London, which was called St. Mary of Bethlehem. Two centuries later, in the 1400s, it was turned to a hospital for the mentally confused. And after that, it became known for its noise and confusion. And in time, the name was changed from St. Mary of Bethlehem to Bedlam, a word for noiseness. And I think that's uh, a lot of the way maybe we might live our life during this Christmas season. And that is from Bethlehem to Bedlam, confusion and chaos. Bedlam seems to be particularly during this time of the year when there's so many things that claim our attention and so many things that we need to do. That's why uh, at Christmas we need hope to be able to cope with all the issues that we deal with. And to be able to cope with this frantic time, we need the hope that the birth of the Christ child gives to us. Now, each week uh, in Advent here in December, we have, we have lighted an Advent candle. We've done a candle of hope, love, today is joy, and next week will be peace, and on Christmas Eve will be the Christ candle. But ultimately, though, our overarching theme this year, and it's on the front of your bulletin every week this, this month we've looked at it, is the thrill of hope. We focused on hope. And that one concept of hope, because we want, to, we want to focus upon the hope that the Christ child brings us in his birth. Because we all need that hope as we live in the bedlam of our culture around us. Uh, if, if you follow uh, professional football, NFL, you know that uh, this is the 100th anniversary then of the NFL, right? Some have been following that. They've got, uh, uh, this year was the 150th anniversary of college football. Now it's the 100th anniversary uh, of NFL. I used to watch it more faithfully. I don't do a whole lot of it now. I've been disappointed with the the, uh, protest about the national anthem and other things that made it more of an escape from some of the stuff in life to where it's a political statement. But I followed along with some of the things that they've been doing in this 100th anniversary of the NFL. They've been talking about uh, who who are the top linebackers, the top linemen, the top uh, receivers and quarterbacks, and on and on and on. Well, they also were discussing uh, what, was the, what is the number one play in NFL 100 years of history. Anybody got any idea? Have you followed along with what it might be? The what? The Immaculate Reception. That's exactly right. How many of you remember that play? You remember the Immaculate Reception? You got to be back. You got to go back a long way. 1972. That's when it happened. I remember where I was. I was in Wilmington, North Carolina. We were visiting my Aunt Blanche who lived there. And I, I remember watching it and just went absolutely nuts. It was a, it was a game between Pittsburgh Steelers uh, and, uh, and the Oakland Raiders for the AFC Championship. And uh, the Steelers trailed Oakland 7-6 to six with 22 seconds left. It was fourth down for Pittsburgh. And they were 60 yards from the end zone. Terry Bradshaw, the quarterback, dropped back to pass. He was sacked almost two times. He finally got off a pass that went down to him, went to the 35-yard line. And uh, Jack Tatum had broken it up, and it was falling towards the ground. And the next thing we all know is all of a sudden here comes Franco Harris, the running back, emerging with the ball in his hands, and he runs 35 yards for the winning touchdown. 
Now, if you watch that, you watch that video, I've seen it I don't know how many times. It's still hard to believe that that ball somehow mysteriously happened to fall into Franco Harris's hands. But now the question is, why do I bring that up when we're talking about hope? And, and what's the significance of that play for today? Well, when Franco Harris was interviewed about it for placing his number one play of all time, he said this. He says, no matter how hopeless something appears, you don't ever give up. Anything can happen. Now, isn't it interesting, in everything else that's going around the NFL today and over 100 years of play of the NFL, that the one play that they pick out for the most important play or the most outstanding play or the most memorable play is the one that involves hope. Why hope? I think it's because we all need hope. We're all looking for hope. And hope is what enables us to cope with the despair of life. Now, what are we talking about when we're talking about the despair of life? Well, I think we all could identify some things. But I've got four that I simply want to point out to you today. Four reasons for despair in, in, the, in the culture in which we live today. I would say number one is confusion. I don't know of any other time in the history of mankind when there's been more confusion that reigns uh, across our society and culture today. I mean, all kinds of confusion. There are more books published in one day than the average American can read in a lifetime. Most of us feel like roadkill on the information highway. The issues today are confusing, right? especially who's telling the truth in the media. Is there, is there any truth that comes out of there? You know, what's fake media? What's real? What can we really believe? And does anybody really understand what's going on in the Middle East? Seems like we move troops from one place to another. And then you talk about some of the scientific things that have been done and discovered. Scientists are now able to manipulate genes and harvest cells and unravel DNA. And we're facing ethical dilemmas in, in the world of medicine and biogenetics that we've never had to deal with before. It's a confusing time to be alive. And we're not sure where to turn for wise counsel. The second thing of despair that I mentioned is just a, a prevailing sense of hopelessness. Prevailing sense of hopelessness. We live in, in an age when many people absolutely feel hopeless and have no power to deal with or change the circumstances of their life. Most people today moan about the fact that it seems like we have lost totally any hope of claiming the American dream. I hear people today saying, no matter how hard I try, I just can't seem to get ahead or even catch up. There's that sense of hopelessness that leads to despair. And then thirdly, I would mention insecurity. There's all kinds of reasons why there's insecurity. The issues of crime concerning our personal safety leads to us feeling vulnerable and insecure. Then there's job security and financial security and personal security. I read an alarming statistic this week about how commonplace it is in, in America today mostly for senior adults and mostly women who live alone. And, and it's an alarming number who live alone, but I'm told that in the next 25 years, the number today will escalate to over 15 and a half million people in our country who will live alone. And then there's a, the fourth thing that I would mention that leads to all this bedlam in our community, in our culture today, and that is restlessness, an overwhelming sense of restlessness I, I, I mean, I feel like at times that I can just 
I just get in tune with it. I can just feel it, that sense of restlessness that's in our culture today like never before. It's alarming to me, surprising, and, and there's some good reasons for it, but over 60% of Americans have moved in the past five years. Don't you find that to be alarming? Never before have people been so restless, always looking for something else. Another job, another house, another spouse, another hobby to satisfy our cravings. We can't sit still. We get bored with things so quickly. Most of our health problems today are stress-related because we're restless and we can't find peace. There's an uneasiness in our world today that makes us feel as if we will never, ever be at peace. Confusion, hopelessness, insecurity, restlessness. Why do we need the hope of Christmas? It's because of all of those things. Confusion, hopelessness, insecurity, restlessness. Well, in reality, the world in which Jesus was born was experiencing similar pains of despair and hopelessness. We'll read about proportionate in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, where we find a prediction that comes from uh, the prophet Isaiah uh, almost 700 years before this Christ child would be born. Isaiah was able to look down the road into the future and see that hope was coming from God. And so when we read these verses, we see that he puts together their current situation, which is going to be enhanced, and then he gives to us Four descriptive words of the character and nature of this Christ child who will bring us hope and whose birth we celebrate once again. Isaiah 9, verses 1 through 7. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom. That's good news, isn't it? No more gloom. For those who were in distress, in the past he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. That's another sign of hope. Then he says, you have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. Now what's happening is, is that Isaiah is telling them good news is coming. There is hope. Hold on because good news is coming. And basically they were in despair because the people had fallen into sinful activity. And they were in despair because of their own sinfulness. And they lived with a sense of gloom and despair and darkness hanging over them like a dark cloud. But Isaiah says to them that there will be no more gloom. He talks about those who have been humbled will be humbled no more. He talks about the fact that there will be a promise of hope. He says that the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. He talks about the yoke of oppression will be removed from them. And then he goes on to talk about the fact that all of this is because Jesus Christ, this child who is born, will increase their joy, break that yoke of despair, and give them a reason for hope. Where do we find that reason for hope? 
in the next two verses and the descriptive name of this Christ child. Isaiah says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. You see, those are, those are profound words that don't, don't just skip over them in the Christmas story. A child is born. We celebrate his birth. A son is given. God has given to us his son. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of, his in, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Where does our hope come from as we celebrate the birth of Christ? Our hope comes from the names that Isaiah gives to him. He calls him the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father. And the Prince of Peace. It's in the birth of this child that we find the hope that we need for comfort and to still the restlessness in our soul. To give us a sense of belonging, to remove the gloom, to restore the joy to our life. And, and what's so significant about these four names by which Christ will be called? They're all profound as we look at them individually. Because in them we find four reasons for hope at Christmas and any time that you claim these names. Number one, he is wonderful counselor. Some translations have it broken wonderful and a comma and counselor and giving five different names. But I think that wonderful counselor is the intent of the scripture. That he will indeed be the wonderful, wonderful counselor who is the king of Christmas. Now what does it refer to? It refers to the matchless wisdom with which Jesus came and what he taught and how he lived among men. It speaks about his reliability and his authority. Counseling is big business today, but not all counseling is good. Not all counsel that you receive, not just by going to a counselor, but by having conversations with people when you're seeking advice or seeking their counsel. You say, I want to bend your ears for a few minutes. I've got an issue I want you to, to give me some, some input on. And you don't always get the best advice. Sometimes you can easily decipher that up front, and sometimes you go through and follow that advice before you find out that advice wasn't good. And the result is that we, we experience more turmoil and more despair and confusion in our life. But that's not so with Jesus as the wonderful counselor. Because being God in the flesh, Jesus has all wisdom, insight, and integrity. And here's the significance of his name, wonderful counselor. That being God in flesh, Jesus has all wisdom, insight, and integrity. And we can find hope. For our confusion because Jesus listens. What you really want when you ask somebody for counsel is you want them to really listen to what you have to say. And Jesus is our counselor who gives us hope in our confusion because he listens. Secondly, he is the mighty God. The mighty God. This title emphasizes that this Christ child who was born, the baby whose birth we celebrate today, is no less than God himself. 
He is the one true, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent creator, sustainer, and savior of mankind. Jesus often made the statement saying, the Father and I are one. Why do we find hope in the mighty God? Well, I think increasingly we look at our world and everything that's going on. And the sense of despair comes because we, we see our world as being out of control. And we are helpless victims of a world that's gone bad. And we wonder, is there anybody who can do anything about this? Will all these wrongs be righted? Ultimately, will truth prevail? Will truth even emerge in our lifetime? And the answer is found, yes, in the child whose birth brings hope to us. Because the hope of Christmas is the reality of God's strength and God's power. You need to know Jesus as mighty God who is your eternal refuge. His strength, his might, and his power, though, are best displayed in the care that he gives to us. In fact, the apostle Peter would write in 1 Peter 5 and say, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. As the mighty God, there is hope for our hopelessness because Jesus cares. He cares. Then thirdly, he's called the everlasting Father. In today's culture, we're aware of the fact that when we mention the concept of the name Father, it's not always met with a joyous response. For some people, Father means abuse. For some people, Father means neglect. For some people, Father means the man who was always absent. For some, the name Father means the man who never accepted my best as good enough. For some, the the name Father means the man who was always at work and never at home. A few years ago, Hallmark Cards provided several thousand Mother's Day cards in a certain prison. And almost every prisoner got a Mother's Day card and they sent it to their mother. And and in fact, the prison provided the postage to mail it. Well, Hallmark thought that went over so well that when Father's Day came around, they did the same thing. And to their chagrin, they discovered that only 50 of the inmates got a Father's Day card to send to their father. I think in our culture today, one of the great contributing factors to the despair and the insecurity of our nation is that fathers have abdicated their responsibility before God to nurture and love their children. But listen to what our God is, who our God is. Our one true God, our perfect Father in heaven. In Romans 15, 13, the Apostle Paul describes him perfectly. May the God of hope Fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
He begins by saying, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. And he ends by saying, may you overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, there is hope for our insecurity because Jesus loves us. Jesus loves us. The gift of Jesus coming, God becoming flesh, Emmanuel with us, is a reminder and a display of the depth of God's love for you. And then the fourth name is Prince of Peace. And that title refers to the peace of total well-being that Jesus brings. We look at the world around us and we see the crime that escalates. We see all the, the turmoil that's in the street when people don't like decisions that are made. We look around the world and we see that there are hot spots everywhere and always have been. We have military people deployed uh, around the world because of the need to resolve issues and bring about peace. We have military personnel here who stand by on that moment's notice they have to be ready to go and go somewhere and intervene somewhere in the world's crisis. The reality is that in our lifetime we will never see a total peace and reconciliation among the nations that will only come when the Lord Jesus returns and establishes his millennial kingdom. We will never really see total peace in relationships with people. There will always be issues that will fracture our relationships and divide us and cause us pain and turmoil. That's why Paul wrote in Romans 12, 18 and said, If it's possible as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. In some circumstances, it's not possible to be at peace with some people. So what is the hope of the peace that the birth of Jesus Christ brings to us? It's the peace that we can have inside, in our life, when we are in a right relationship with God. We can find peace in the most painful and difficult and stressful situations when we are in a relationship with God. We can find that peace in the quiet stillness of the manger scene as we ask the Prince of Peace to reign in our hearts. He brings the peace of God. And there is hope for our restlessness because Jesus brings peace with God. You see, once again, we have the privilege and the opportunity to celebrate the birth of the Christ child, the, the child who brings us hope. And a dimension to think about that this year is the depth of that hope that he provides. Christmas is about celebrating the birth of a special child who can make all the difference in your life because of hope. One of my favorite stories that comes out of the 1849 era of the Gold Rush time uh, in California is a short story entitled The Luck of Roaring Camp. And it's about how a baby came to a mining camp and transformed that camp and all the men in that camp. A poor woman, the only woman in that camp with a questionable background and reputation, died and left an infant son. And the miners had to care for this baby boy. And so they began to do some things that were necessary to take care of the child. And then the more they looked at the child and, and the box in which they had placed him, they thought, this is not fitting for a child. So they sent one of the men on a mule, 80 miles to Sacramento, California, and he came back with a rosewood cradle. 
And when they assembled that cradle and put that baby in that cradle, they looked and they thought, well, these dirty rags that this baby's lying on and the clothes that he has on are not appropriate for a child. And so they sent the same guy back to Sacramento, 80 miles on a mule and back, and he brought back linen and he brought back clothes for this child. And when they dressed the child in the clothes and put the fresh linen in the cradle, they looked around the cabin in which the little child lived and they said, these floors are filthy and so they scrubbed them clean. And then they looked at the walls and the ceiling and they said, these are filthy and they whitewashed them. When the weather was appropriate, they would take the little boy in his cradle out to the entrance to the mine to get some fresh air and sunshine. And they looked around and they saw that the, the front of that mine was just absolutely filled with trash. And so they cleaned it up and they planted flowers. And they realized that the baby had to have some quiet time so it could nap or nobody would sleep. And so they changed their pattern of living. They changed their hard-drinking, hard-living ways to where they were transformed by the presence of this baby in their mining camp. I think if we look intently at the story of Christmas and the birth of Jesus, we will find that this baby truly does change everything. He brings us the hope of God. He brings us the hope of God in the midst of all of our despair. If you've been privileged to have a child born into your family and into your home, you know the reality of the fact that a baby changes everything. This baby, whose birth we celebrate once again, is Jesus Christ, who's God in the flesh, Emmanuel. He is the child who brings us hope. He is the child of Christmas who brings hope, and hope transforms our perspective on life. And when we celebrate his birth appropriately and we embrace this child, then we can too can find the hope for our despair as we claim him as wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. Celebrate the birth of Christ this year with hope in your heart because the Christ child brings hope. Heavenly Father, we praise you today for your acts of kindness towards us. And as we celebrate once again this wonderful Christmas story, the birth of your Son, Jesus Christ, you who came to us as God in the flesh, we we seek to claim the hope that you bring to us. So, Father, I pray that our celebration of Christmas this year will be one of claiming the hope that can be found only in Christ. And will allow our conditions to be transformed because we know that we have hope. We have forgiveness of sins. We have peace with you. We have power to cope with the reality of life through Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord, whose birth we celebrate. Amen.